Hello and welcome to episode five of the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Never Ready. I'm Stephen Robles and today we're talking about surviving R. Kelly and around that topic, something I had no idea existed. <laughs> brother, brother, Steven, brother Steven don't know about the aura. He doesn't know about no, the no. aura. He don't know about the aura. I, know, I don't know if we're going to talk about you, know, you guys' exposure to the music. I don't know if this is the same era I was listening to Backstreet Boys. But, uh, <laughs> oh, Lord. His brother deranged the uh, category of R&B with, with a Backstreet Boys reference. Yeah, man. So, you know, let me let me just start. So it's a it's a docu-series. We, what was it, baby? A year ago or so, we saw this family. It was on social media. They were, they were talking about their daughter. Oh, yeah. Had been These taken parents. in by yeah. R. Kelly and they couldn't get a hold of her. And there's some kind of weird, like, uh, cult sex cult going on or something somewhere in Atlanta I think yeah, yeah. and so you know it, it like everybody was like what's going on but it wasn't completely shocking because hmm. you knew R. Kelly had some interesting stuff going on back in the day yeah um so you know like like you said you you came up a little bit after it so um I came up in an era when like uh it was just huge down here especially in, in the county really? like 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 there was a song. There was an album called. By the way, this episode might be a little uh, on the mature end. So if you're playing it for your kids, <laughs> you might save it for later. But, yes. um, but you know, it 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 was this uh, album called Twelve Play, and it was just completely like you know sexual lyrics. But you know, mm. it, it was a song, and it was called uh, You Remind Me of. And so everybody in the county used to take it and slow it down. And so they'd be driving with these like big, you know, bass in the trunk. Uh, you just rattling hear rattling the windows. I ain't going to sing the lyrics because it's bad. But, um, you know, I, could, I, I, I couldn't really listen to, to, to his lyrics um, back then. But, you know, I'd kind of sneak in, in the house and uh, turn the radio, <laughs> radio on and try to, catch, try to catch an R. Kelly tune here and there. Um, what was it? Didn't he have one? big hit i feel like i know one r kelly song well there's a he has a, he, he has, has a so huge, a few major hits but i would say probably his biggest crossover hit you can correct me if i'm wrong baby i believe i can fly that sounds okay yeah right that, you're right yeah and I then would he, that's he written songs for like celine dion and michael jackson and so those were yeah. large hits which one's too? the one for michael jackson um you are not, not alone yeah you were not alone right. <laughs> Stop. Also, Stop. Ignition is ignition. Oh my one? goodness! So yeah, that's... well, uh, yeah. So I get to the now. Nerva grew up. So in so Chicago, you know, he, he is so... from Chicago. He lived in Chicago, but okay, he also, right. oddly enough, I've heard that he lived in Haines City, which is like in the county. Really? At some yeah. points in his life, I don't. Uh, you know, it could be urban legend, but we know people that have golfed with him here. Right, and so, but Nerva is like like <laughs> down like the street. You know, from where, he, like, he was the Chicago dude right yeah and y'all you said you time. Uh, i think i i might have sung at a jazz festival with a band uh, in my teen years and um he might have been there and he came this was when he was with those other guys in a group called like public a... announcement okay and so he had stopped by and everyone's like oh that's r kelly hmm. and so people you know he, there was a lot of hype around him because he was representing the shy so yeah, yeah, and he he said you, he he might have even commented on you singing or something, right? I he gave you a compliment. After we like performed, that. we might have all like shook hands with everybody. You know how you do that in passing backstage, and oh, you had a, a nice voice or something like and, that. You know, and then so so I was actually in Chicago. I was on the first my first tour with Kurt Franklin, the Hopeville tour, and uh, one of the keyboard players was like a huge fan of R. Kelly. So when his one of his new albums came out while we were on tour 
called the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> and uh, Chocolate Factory. And, uh, <laughs> and so anyways, he was playing in the Batman, just going in, like loving it. And it was like Ignition was like on that was on the album. And, you know, again, rough lyrics, like lyrics, you're like, man, that's not not good stuff. But you knew it was like the the music itself was like, man, something something about it's really like captivating. It's it right. catches it's yeah. like really catchy. Catchy hooks. And you don't feel like he's the kind of guy like you don't feel like he he's like trained singer. You know, there's nothing you could point to in his voice and be like, man, his you know, he's really right. supports he no... well and his vibrato's perfect. Right. But for some reason, like when he puts it all together, it just sounds well. incredible. Yeah. Hit. Like his mm. tone and everything. I don't know. Hits. And he also had sung, uh, I don't know if you remember that Lean On Me song for Kurt Franklin. Oh. I am here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he did the first verse ah. on, okay. that, right. on that song. So anyways, that was it He's was all that. Mark, made his mark. Made his mark. I was in industry. Chicago, so I walked backstage in the keyboard players hanging out with R. Kelly. So yeah. I was like, and so, I, you know, just a quick like, he was like, hey, let me introduce you. So I met him there. And then uh, fast forward a couple years later. I was doing a doing a concert with Donnie in Chicago, and it was a, at a church, like in the middle of nowhere. Like hmm. this this thing, it was a rough. What city? In Chicago. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, but it was like a really, really rough area. You know, bars on the window of the church kind of area. Wow. But they were charged, like these ticket prices, I looked at it, I saw the flyer, I was like, what is happening? It was, oddly enough, us with Donnie and R. Kelly. <laughs> this no concert wow. and uh Unbelievable. and the um the ticket price was about like i want to say like somewhere from a hundred dollars or three hundred dollars something like that at this little church and so I, so people start coming in but it was like two thousand the, the church probably seated two thousand twenty five hundred maybe like three hundred people came because the ticket price was just right. way too much right. so anyways uh we go out there to watch it like so i'm on the front row and we're just kind of watching like i've never seen him do his thing in concert you know mm. so he starts singing like amazing grace and it was uh, for some reason like it really was amazing like he was just killing it and you could feel it and you were like ah man this dude's killing it. but when i tell you the funniest thing was he sang this one song during the song, he starts walking out through the audience, kind of clapping hands with people, you know, kind of give yeah, him a five as he's walking down the aisle. Drops the mic off at the soundboard, walks out the door and leaves. <laughs> no way. <laughs> amazing. That's amazing. This joker say one song and bounced. Wow. And these these people were looking around like, I know that happened? ain't it. I know that ain't all you don't going to do. So we had to get up there after that and sing. So That's a tough that call, was my man. only experience um, in person with, our, with the aura. That's amazing. So, uh, side note, Davenport, Florida. He had a residence. Uh, Davenport, oh, so okay. Davenport, Florida, which is near Haines City. But yeah. I don't know how that happened. Like, why Davenport? Of it's such places. a small. There's a lot of land out there. I think they said it might be a large like residence or whatever. So. Okay. Okay. Close to Disney. Huh? So yeah, man. We interesting, but but yeah. So fast forward, they do this. Um, they do this docu series right. comes out. I think it was on Lifetime or yeah. something. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Actually, I had a quick side note. So the premiere episode was January 3rd of this year, 2019. Oh, was it that early? Okay. Yeah, and it was Lifetime's highest rated program in more than two years. Oh wow. my God. 1.9 million total viewers. So it brought Lifetime Crazy. back to life, brother. Right. Is, <laughs> it resurrected the Lifetime, yeah. man. Oh my goodness. No, it, and, and you saw it on, on social media, like you could, right. you could see the buzz, I think. Did you tell yeah, me about it? I saw it. I was just surfing and I saw, huh, there's a docuseries coming out on Aura Kelly. And I said, that that's going to be something because it's been brewing all these years. Yeah, and man. It's been talk. 
and kind of the things going on be surfacing or has it always been going on? So many questions and you kind of know, but you don't know. So I said, this will bring a lot of things to the surface, a lot of clarity. So I know for me, like there was a number of situations that came to light in the last two or three years. Um, you know, Kevin Spacey and um, Louis C.K. Yeah. You know, these huge Hollywood people, sure. all with accusations and oh, yeah. all of them sexually related. I know I, for for one, kind of started tuning out because like this is so many to try and keep up with all these situations. Right. And so that's why when you sent me this, I was like, I don't even know. I didn't really. Yeah. I didn't hear about it, but I also kind of started tuning it out. Probably a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, probably a good thing. So, you know, we we decided to to get, you know, check out the episodes because, like I said, we grew up kind of with his music and and, you know. Probably shouldn't have been influenced by his music as much, but you know, I wouldn't say influenced, but we were we enjoyed a couple tunes in the melody for and, sure. You know, I we, would say, but you know, I remember being in church and our kids' choir saying, "I believe I can fly." Yeah, man. I was in tears. I'll admit it. I mean, I was just like these lyrics, and and you know, though no one can literally fly, but just the the moving lyrics and the melody. It just really did kind of move me that Sunday, and I was like, "Wow, what a song!" But I, I didn't tie it to R. Kelly right, specifically. Right. No, but for sure. Though he he did write that song. And then you know, so, step in the name of love. We stepped did. at our wedding. Yep. You know, our wedding. We played we said, that step, in step, our side to side round. You know yeah. that that song. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. That's it became a huge like wedding reception. Yeah. Song. Okay. When the song comes on, the first beat, you're like, "Yeah, man, this you just is know like he did something on he this song." He could come up with grooves. So you guys keep saying Ara. Kelly. Oh, we're just jo- yeah. Is that just, a joke? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Robert Kelly. I think that's his name. First name is Robert. Yeah, Kelly. Robert. Okay. Um, okay, Robert. Okay. And so you know we yeah so we we had an, we had an interest in in taking a look at it for sure. He was married to Aaliyah, who was also an R and B pop singer early mm-hmm. on that Nerva listened to back in the day. Mm-hmm. So you know we threw it on. Uh, don't I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, especially for young viewers. Um, it gets kind of. Mm. Young viewers and lots of adults. And lots of adults. <laughs> Just <laughs> because, saying, it's yeah, rough. Some of the pictures are rough. The stories you know, are real and, the, and stories needed to be told, but it's some rough content. Yeah, it's some rough content. It's heartbreaking, dark, rough content. It really is a devastating. It's, it's awful. You don't walk away from it feeling, feeling encouraged. You, <laughs> right, for the next right. few days, you're like, whoa, that is, that's a, a dark situation. And uh, you pray for redemption and light to be shown. Is, on all the, the victims, yeah. Is the heaviness part of that someone could get away with something for so long? Or is it just that someone could be capable of doing yes. what he did? Right. <laughs> yes right. and yes. Okay. It's uh it's kind of the situ- it's it's a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. I mean it's a ton of stories. Wait what too many of, of the same scenario reoccurring in different yeah, cities, mm. similar ages. Um, older ages and from one person that much devastation and it's something to process and it's heartbreaking it's so heartbreaking yeah, I think and we're, we're, we're we'll probably talk more about the content of the docu right. of the yeah. documentary next um, episode right but I, I will say this it's just what what it highlights is just the devastation of of taking advantage of like using your your platform to exploit right. Mm. these young girls many of them young girls right. young women sexually yeah and it it, it it brought to my mind the importance of protecting our youth and adults for that matter uh, yeah. from sexual exploitation and violation mm. and that starting the cycle of defeat and and um 
just spiraling into a lifestyle of that, whether you're the victim early on or you've been um, had a, a, a bad situation in your adulthood and you're living from that wound and not receiving healing. And that's where you operate from and you do life from that place because in a, in a way it feels like it feels good to stay there and, and hurt and you don't know how to get out of it. It's sort of like, you know, you make that analogy of someone in the bed and they're sick, but the medicine is in the next room and getting up, going yeah. to the fridge in that next room and taking it, knowing you want to, you need it to feel better, but you're too weak and too, yeah. mm. too, too hurt and broken to do it. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a picture in the Oof. roughest sense. Of yeah. That. Human psychology, sin, it's just all mixed in. And I Whoa. think what you said earlier, all this stuff is coming out. I think what, brought it from just parents on social media to being made into a series was I think the Me Too movement had something to do with it. I saw the founder of it as yeah, one of the- Yeah, she's actually on the docuseries, talking, the, on, Yeah, talking. Gotcha. So I, I don't know this for sure because I haven't looked into that side of it, but I'm guessing they had something to financially to do with them being able to make this to a series. I don't know, but mm -hmm. they seem to be part of it or behind it. They've also got some psychologists and some psychoanalysts yeah. sharing and speaking on there of what uh, predators do and how- they operate and, and victims also the, the, the cycle and mm. the depression and anxiety that kicks in and and a lot of that too. Yeah. So it's very informing. It's very informing. Um, and, and like I said, the next episode, I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit mm -hmm. about, you know, just that, just the sexual unhealthiness in our culture in general, how right. you can work forward and all that mm -hmm. stuff. But I think this first episode, what I wanted to use this for is, to model a, an example of how you can think worldviewishly. Right. Because in, in Free Mind, one of the things we're trying to do is like, first of all, help people develop a biblical worldview, right. but then apply it to specific examples and culture so they can think through it yeah. and see the truth, see, see what's going on behind the scenes. Because, you know, it's easy to talk about this kind of thing at a surface level and you get agree agreements and debates about all that. We're going to kind of come from a completely different angle and try to ask deeper questions that are kind of behind a lot of these movements and what people are saying because the interesting thing is people you you know r kelly has been a favorite of so many people for so long they've been you know ardent defenders of him and even some of those people are now coming out and saying you know, they're condemning him, Kelly. saying you've done wrong. You R. Kelly is the yeah. hashtag. hashtag and um, Spotify, I think, removed him off yeah. all their playlists. And there's all these things. That are, so so you have to ask the question of this society that once embraced him, now they're turning on him. What's going on underneath all that? Is that the right thing? Mm -hmm. Is it the wrong thing? How should we think about it? Um, are they being inconsistent? Um, right. all, all those types of questions. Um, I think we don't often ask when we get into these topics and we just, we live on the surface mm. of the cultural dialogue and we yeah. want to go a bit deeper in this first episode. Yeah, that's good. So, um, to do that, I think we, we've never really taken the time to define worldview right. on the podcast yet. So I think it might be a good idea to just start by saying, what do we mean when we talk about a worldview and what are those things. And I don't know if you want to jump in and say anything yeah. on that, Steve, and I've got some definitions here, but yeah, I'd love to. Um, one of my favorite uh, people to define worldview is Ravi Zacharias. And he talks about every person has to answer these four questions in their belief system, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Meaning regardless of how you view the world, again, a worldview, how do you view the world around us and our actions? 
uh, everyone has to have an answer of origin. You know, where did everything come from? Where did we come from? Meaning, is there a purpose to life? Is there meaning and what is it? Morality, how do we decide what is right and wrong? And destiny, what happens when we die? And even the atheist or agnostic has answers to these questions. You, you have to. I mean, you can say, I don't care, I don't know. But when you really drill down, these are questions that have to be answered because we all experience them in our lives. Yeah, no, that's great, man. I love that from Ravi. And uh, yeah, go ahead, babe. You sort of have a worldview whether you acknowledge or not. Exactly. In a sense, if you've not thought it through, your right. worldview is, is such. This might be exactly. unclear, a murky, and you might sway with the... Right. And, and the further clarification things. Ravi gives is every worldview has to have correspondence and coherence, mm. meaning it has to be coherent within itself. Okay. And so if you say, I believe this is what makes things right or wrong, do you actually have grounds to do that? Is there actual an objectivity to it? And so does it cohere uh, with reality? And then uh, correspondence, you know, does it equal the facts around it that we know of? You know, and for, um, I forget that there's a YouTube video that I'd like to put in show notes uh, where Ravi Zacharias talks about uh, what the Quran says about Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it is a very different historical account of Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to correspondence, there cannot both be truth in the Quran and what the Bible says. And so the correspondence, meaning correspondence to reality also, like does, does this thing, uh, is it accurate in what it states? Yeah. And then if something else says something different, you have to say that is either true or false. Yeah. And that's that objective truth and false in any worldview that you have to evaluate mm. with the evidence that we have and with history and with the human experience that, that we have. That's good, man. So good. So in essence, what, what, what he's saying is our worldview is basically it's our mental map of reality, right. map of especially right. with regard to the big questions. And he mentioned those like origin, meaning, meaning morality, right. and what's, what's to come. And, and you, you might be thinking like, why is that important? What does that have to do with the aura? Why do we ask these questions? Um, <laughs> but, but immediately what you, see, what you see in this mute R. Kelly what's going on is there's a moral framework in place. Mm. Right. These people, the, the people that are condemning him are saying that he's done something objectively wrong. wrong. Bad. And yeah. therefore we have, we are obligated to take action mm. and, and shut his voice down, free these girls. Now as Christians, we, we would agree with that. But what we're asking here is what, what is, what is their, what is their moral framework and do they have a right from their worldview position to say things like that? So that's, right. that's why these questions of what Stephen just said are important and morality will tie to origins. Like it, whether or not you can have an objective framework will depend on where everything comes from and where it's going. Mm -hmm. And so that's how all those questions tie together. I'll read a couple more little things about worldview just to reinforce. Um, some people talk about worldview being the glasses that you wear, you know, right. kind of through which you see all of reality there, there are weaknesses with that analogy, but that's a that's a pretty good one. Uh, also, a roadmap and what Stephen was talking about correspondence. When you have a, a GPS system, for instance, you know, you you get a five star rating if your GPS matches up with the roads as they really are. Right. <laughs> um, right. right. You know, yeah. you shortly you, or you quickly get bad ratings and people stop downloading your app. <laughs> 
if it doesn't correspond with reality. Oh, it's good. But the problem is for many of us, we our lives, our mental map doesn't correspond with reality. So we mm. run into reality, but oftentimes we don't think to fix our GPS. Mm. We just keep That's running amazing. into reality. That's amazing. It's funny too, because you know, when Apple Maps first came out, <laughs> there was all this uproar that <laughs> it would just lead people down dead end roads. Or if you go to the satellite view, it would be a half of a bridge and then it just you know, falls into the ocean and people would be like, that's not how it is. Like I can go to that bridge and I can see it with my own eyes and I know it's there, but this maps program is disagreeing with <laughs> right. it. It shows something oh, different, man, but I can see the truth. Yeah. So I know that that is false. And that's that correspondence. There's that's, that office episode where he's telling Michael to turn right. And so he drives into the lake because he's like, no, the ma- it's telling me to turn right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, so, you know, that's a, that's see where you're trying to go, but you can't, get there from here go ahead right, right. no i have a joke i've never i've never seen uh, the office so. oh that's right so i'm i'm looking office. around for like a witness in here i can't get a witness <laughs> never seen the i've office. been forced upon a two episodes we won't hold that head. against this you. guy that no r kelly doesn't know the office he, i don't know, I know man. It's over two <laughs> over two but what you you said this earlier nervy you were like you know you or i can't remember what you said but you basically said everybody has a worldview but the problem is most of us hold them uncritically we don't think about our through. worldview. Right. And so the problem is, you know, you just, you basically adopt whatever, you know, your family is when you're young, but then you grow up and you, you take on the worldview of the culture around you mm. by and large, or some, some form of it, your subculture, whatever. It's very influenced by, right. by the water you swim in. And unless you take the time to either travel or read books outside of that, you just kind of typically do it uncritically. Yeah. So if, and this is a question for our, our audience listeners as well as you guys. What, how would, what are the the major worldviews in our culture right now? Have you thought about that? Like, what, mm-hmm. what are these influencing factors? Where, where has our culture moved in the past 10, 20, 30 years? If you had to characterize kind of the broad streams, what would you say? There's a book, again, by Ravi Zacharias, Jesus Among Secular Gods. And he talks about... <clears throat> Just that, the predominant worldviews in today's culture, like scientism, where science yeah. is the be-all and end-all, and hedonism, where that the seeking of one's own pleasure is the yeah. ultimate good. And of course, atheism and agnosticism too, but, but seeking pleasure, atheism, and the uh, scientism, yeah. I feel, you know, you see those strongly. A lot of relativism and yeah. postmodernism Very good. flowing in. You know, at first, being married to Seth, I have to be honest, I was new to all of this. And I was like, I don't see it. I just can't. I'm watching and I'm watching all these talk shows. And now it's like crystal clear that truth has stumbled and that what's Mm. true for you is not true for someone else. But they can both be true or both be fun. It doesn't work. Um, But yeah, those worldviews I see as well. No, that's great. And I think what you both hit on exactly, J.P. Moreland in the the book... um, the Kingdom Triangle. Kingdom Triangle. Thank right. you. Uh, Kingdom Triangle. He he basically he says in in broadest terms we are in a in the West in general, but especially in America we're in a three way worldview struggle between um, scientific naturalism, mm-hmm. which is what Stephen mentioned, postmodernism, which you mentioned, and Christian theism. Okay. Now there are other sub branches. Right. Um, Islam is growing. New Age, kind of a new version of New Age, represented by someone like Oprah. Would, would be another um, yeah. worldview that comes in there. Buddhism, you know, kind of a new form of Buddhism. Right. Um, but, but the three major ones that have impact on like the universities, mm. the media, all those are really more of a godless secularism that get expressed in scientific naturalism and or postmodernism. Okay. Mm. Okay. And we'll talk, I, I don't want to get into postmodernism 
now, but let's just call secular with a capital S. Let's just refer to that as basically it's a godless worldview. So going back to Stephen's rubric, uh, where does everything originate? Where does it come from? That worldview would basically say um, somehow either something came from nothing or forever there was a quantum vacuum and it explodes. Big Bang would begin the description of that matter in motion. Uh, random, you know, could be a multiverse, could be a universe, but basically you just have matter, physics and chemistry forming from that, stars spin off, planets spin off. Um, it, it accidentally somehow through maybe lightning a pool or some, some explanation turns into life and this life evolves over time and then we right. get to where we are. That's kind of the, the broad, the, somebody's called it the, um, you, me and you from the the, the goo, goo via the zoo <laughs> or whatever. Um, okay. you know, it's, it's chance plus matter plus time. Yeah, mm. that's the worldview. You know, it's, it's chance stuff wow. over time. And so that's the that's probably at bottom that's one of the the major worldviews, especially if you go to university that's often just presupposed like not even not even argued that you know some of the things they seem so just given that we don't even have to argue for them anymore like I don't know that, that anybody's ever given you a full on logical argument for the proposition that you exist you know or that the external world exists or that memory beliefs are true you know there's just things we kind of take for granted well in our culture yeah go ahead i remember in class in college i don't know we were i guess i was in one of those philosophy classes and i just remember us just getting into an uproar because the the question was how do you know we're sitting here right now (laughs) (laughs) don't you see me all right then that's how you know and he said, and what did he say? Don't you see don't that? Don't you see that chair? That's how you know. <laughs> and and so, the whole class what is up. the point? And we just, just, it was just went nuts and wild. And so. <laughs> yeah, these philosophical, for most people, they're just funny yeah. questions. But. but, you know, I think The Matrix came out in 99. Right. That actually, I think, would make you think, you know, right. for a second. And then Elon Musk, you know, a few years ago, he kind of just said it flippantly, but he was like, we might just be in a simulation. <laughs> and so right, right. Those kinds right. of things get eked out into the culture. Sure. And it's like, well, Every now and then, for, and for a day or two, but then you go back yeah. to like the default setting. Right, it's like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So it's kind of like, but unfortunately, I think this kind of godless scientific naturalism view has become such a part of our culture that we don't, a lot of people don't even argue for it or question it. It's just kind of yeah. like, um, specifically in the, what you might call the elite culture, the, the, the movers and shakers, the drivers, Right. Behind uh, TV, movies, universities. And it's so. become more popular over time, right? Because over the years, I mean, you look back in the early 1900s, there was more of a Christian worldview oh, in yeah, this yeah. country, right? So yeah. it's been, I guess, taught more. Do we arrive at college just knowing it less? What are your thoughts on? Well, going into the history of it sure. right now, I think would, would, no, no, no. <laughs> good question though. It, we probably could do another one on that and like really walk through how we got to where we are. Okay. Um, but it, yeah, it has been sort of a, for, sort of a progression because we did start and and even with all its flaws, this nation was basically rooted in the worldview of a Judeo-Christian, Judeo-Christian. worldview. Okay. Um, so, you know, the, the Hebrew scriptures, mm-hmm. 
um, with with help from Greeks and Romans on how to run government, how to think through philosophy, that kind of right. thing. But it was funded like the view of the world, how to answer those big questions was right. we referred to the biblical account. Okay. It's no longer like that by and large in the people that are the, the movers and shakers again, yeah. influencers. Yeah. Um, so that that being said, though, that raises the question, um, since we've cut those roots off, what happens to morality in general? Ooh. Right. Uh, one of the major problems on that worldview has been that it's it it becomes increasingly difficult, if not impossible, to hold to what's called moral realism. And moral realism is the idea that there are objective moral values and duties that we have as human beings. And by objective, it means it doesn't depend on what we believe. So in other words, let me just make a quick distinction between objective mm-hmm. and subjective subjective would be things like you know i uh broccoli tastes good or um yeah i'm here so broccoli tasting good would be true depending on who's saying it so it's based on the right. subject of the person who's saying it or who believes it we say like red cars are the best yeah red cars are the best <laughs> chocolate ice cream <laughs> yes yeah, exactly, chocolate ice cream exactly. is better than all other ice creams um or even like location statements like i'm here and someone else says, no, I'm here. Well, it depends on who's saying it uh, and where they are yeah. at the time. But a statement like, I am in Florida currently is an objective statement. It's a statement that's either true or false, whether or not someone else believes it, or even whether or not I believe it. Right. It's the statement itself is true based on the object of the statement, not okay. the subject who believes it. But, and going back to the liar, liar example, the pen is blue. It's blue, right. regardless if I say it's green or red or something else like Exactly. And another, you know, another example is even, even the whole world could believe it false. Like for instance, there was one time when arguably the world thought the world was flat. Right. Well, now all the world, unless the flat earther is on the <laughs> internet, but most of the world believes that the earth is a sphere. The earth didn't change and become a sphere, sphere when we believed it. It was always what it was objectively. Right. And even though the subjective opinion about it changed. So right. the objective truth is something that's out there, whether or not we believe it. With regard to morality, what that what the moral realist would say is even if supposing the Holocaust was wrong, which we'd say it was wrong, it was evil, even if Hitler had won the war and successfully killed everyone who disagreed with him or brainwashed everyone so that the whole world believed that the Holocaust was right, yeah. it would still be wrong mm-hmm. objectively on the, on the view called moral realism. Ah, the good. problem for... Um, the scientific naturalist viewpoint is how do you get moral realism? In other words, why, why isn't morality just like social convention preach or why isn't it just one more illusion of the, the, that our brains kind of concocted because it helped us survive in the evolutionary history. Right. Michael Ruse, an atheistic philosopher at Florida state university, he wrote this, he said the position of the modern evolutionist, is that humans have an awareness of morality because such an awareness is of biological worth. Hmm. Morality is a biological adaptation no less than our hands and feet and teeth. Considered as a rationally justifiable set of claims about an objective something, ethics is illusory. It's an illusion. Hmm. I appreciate that when someone says, love thy neighbor as thyself, they think they are referring above and beyond themselves. Nevertheless, such reference is truly without foundation. 
Morality is just an aid to survival and reproduction, and any deeper meaning is illusory. Mm-hmm. He's an atheist. Yeah. Now he later we might talk about he tries to rescue moral realism, but this is what he's saying is if you on atheistic evolutionary viewpoint, yeah. it's 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 an illusion of the brain that it helped us survive, you know, to to make it on the plains like we right. thought. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If we, you know, fight this lion together and you know, we can win. But it's not it's not objective in the sense that it's outside of our own thought or opinion or wiring. So so for instance, let's suppose for a second that atheism's true. Still the case is that most people believe in God. And it just empirically, that's mm-hmm. just empirical fact. Most people believe in a spiritual realm. Now someone like Richard Dawkins would say this is this is a, a trick of evolution, like a virus of the mind that right. we picked up. But the fact is it helped us survive at some point to believe in spiritual agents. It you know, if somehow it played a part where it didn't get weeded out in evolution. But the truth of it is an illusion. There's no God out there. It's just a trick or we, right. that happened to us sociobiologically through evolution. What Ruse is pointing out is that the same thing is true with moral realism. We think that when we say stuff like, you know, R. Kelly ought not, he's, he, you know, he ought not to exploit these girls sexually. We think we're referring to some moral law right. that transcends human beings. But what Ruse is saying if atheism's true, there's no moral law. It's just yeah. right. he's basically just not he's not conforming to the herd mentality. Right. And yeah. so in the crux is to be a consistent atheist, you know, in order for your worldview to be consistent, if there is no God, you must also hold that there is no objective moral values. Right. And some of the most I mean, two other quotes here, Darwin and Dawkins. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So to that point, Darwin, uh, in his book The Descent of Man. He says, if men were reared under precisely the same conditions as hive bees, there can hardly be a doubt that our unmarried females would, like worker bees, think it is a sacred duty to kill their brothers and mothers, would strive to kill their fertile daughters, and no one would think of interfering. And so what what Darwin is saying that, you know, if we believe that our evolutionary progress results in our moral code, then it's speciesism, or just to say we think it's better because we're humans, like we are physically humans, that these animals that think it, they just kill each other. And we, there's no grounds to say it's any better or worse. If right. There really is no God. <clears throat> That's good. Let me pause on that and yeah. we'll come back to that other. Um, so does that make sense, babe? The, you know, like racism is to just arbitrarily prefer one race over another. I think race is yeah. a certain race is higher than another race. Speciesism is the idea that our species is higher, but you have no reason to think that on Darwinism because we're just one more shoot in the evolutionary framework. And what he's saying there in that beehive example, we might have evolved the morality of bees where you kill, you know, a, a female, what is it? A female bee kills yeah. the, the other yeah. family member bees. Right. And it, that's just the way it is. I've also heard that sharks, um, male sharks copulate with females forcibly. What we would, you know, we don't call it rape among yeah. sharks. Right. So when we think of human beings doing that, we all of a sudden import this moral category, right. but on atheism, we don't, we don't have that option of importing that because when you think about the, um, the atheistic worldview, all you really have is physics and chemistry. So when you're looking at a test tube and you're looking at these numbers and or you're looking at these chemical reactions, where in that do you say, ah, there's mercy. Oof. 
Right. There's there's love. And then where do you say that we is this one species out of all these other ones that randomly were concocted aimed at survival and reproduction? Why do we have an obligation to be merciful and mercy doesn't even exist? Like mm, right. that's like from? when you see a lion kill a zebra. Right. We don't think the lion murdered the zebra. We see it as the lion was following his chemical makeup and his evolutionary process. That lion was killing the zebra because he was hungry and he was just obeying his mm. physical nature to eat. And right. So because of that, there was a killing. But we don't say it's murder. Right. But so if we take that same evolutionary naturalistic perspective to humans, then why do we say it's murder? Right. Mm. It should just because be and here's what here's what the crux is because we're borrowing from our old worldview of the Judeo-Christian ethic, right. and I think I think I know where you're going with this next quote, and yes. I think it'll fit here actually the Dawkins one. Yeah, and so Richard Dawkins, huge uh, new atheist, he wrote the book The God Delusion, and in talking about morality, this is what Dawkins says: Some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Wow. And there's another quote too. Uh, that's, that's really good. There's another one where he just says, everything we do, we're just dancing to our DNA. That's right. Mm. Right. right. And so um, in essence, we'll, we'll get into this more in the, in the next episode, but on atheism, there's no moral law because there's no moral law giver. Therefore, it's like, it's imagine if, um, if there was no such thing as money anymore, like the whole market crash and dollars have no value. Yeah. You know, if I came to you with a bill and I said, hey, you owe me $1,000, it would be, it'd basically be meaningless. You would tell me probably, hey, money doesn't, it's non-existent anymore. It's a right. meaningless statement. In other words, once you move, once our culture cuts off the roots of the Judeo-Christian ethic, we no longer have the worldview resources to draw from and say you're obligated to live according to this thing that really doesn't exist except for an illusion in our minds. So in essence, what we now have, if, and again, I don't want these people in our culture that, that have a capital S secular worldview to drop morality like that's not my hope because that would be chaos for us all you know right. it'd be bad it'd be a bad day um but my hope is that they would look at look at their worldview critically and say man i have this intuition I, it seems right. so wrong what r kelly's doing maybe i need to reconsider the idea that there is a god right. because that's the only way to ground this intuition that i have um and one of the arguments that someone an atheist might feel hearing these kinds of things is, so are you saying i can't do anything good like if I stop someone from being abused, is that not a good thing? And to which I would say, no, you are still capable of doing something good, but you are borrowing the fact that it's good from a Judeo-Christian worldview. Right. If you were to remain consistent as an atheist, doing that thing is no better or worse. Right. I do agree you are doing a good thing, because only because of my objective <laughs> moral values that come from a God. From God, yeah. In an atheistic worldview, you're just, you prefer to do that. Yeah. Or it makes you feel good, hedonism. Like you yeah. find enjoyment for helping the poor, but it doesn't mean it's objectively good. Right. And I think it's a great point because we don't want to give the false impression that many people think is that you're saying atheists can't be good people. Right. We understand that they can be really, you know, when you talk about just normal human standards of good and decent folks they can sometimes outpace us many, you know, yeah. as Christians. 
Um, the, but we're, what we're talking about, like Steven said, is worldview. And if it, when they say something like that, you're saying, I can't do this good activity. No, what we're saying is if atheism is true, then there is no good and evil. Therefore, it's not a good activity. Um, it's just a, it's just this or that. It's like wearing white after Labor Day. So what we're asking is these people that are that are condemning R. Kelly think think more deeply about the, what they're saying because if they want to move away from God, then basically they're getting mad at him because he belched loud at the dinner table. It's just you know he went against social convention. You don't you know you, they don't, you don't prefer do that. what he did. Right, they don't like what he did, but why why are they imposing that on him? Mm. You know that's another one of our cultural values. We don't want to impose your values on other people. So why do they yeah. feel comfortable? And imposing just what they like on him that might he might like young girls you know so the the question is we need to think worldviewishly and i want to end with just this little thing here this is this is what the the biblical worldview gives us um this is from uh gary deweese doing philosophy as a christian he narrows it down to these five things he says one god is a perfectly good being who created the universe with a quote-unquote moral grain what he means is there's there is a moral grain in reality because God put it there. It comes from him. In other words, he is a moral lawgiver. Two, God made humanity in his image, including the capacity for rational decision-making and moral accountability. That's what makes human beings special and not just one other animal or gnat or fly. Three, human flourishing is greatest when decisions are made in conformity to the moral character of God. Four, the ground of moral judgments about human motives and actions is the perfect moral, uh, sorry, is the perfect moral character of God. The ground of moral judgments about human motives and actions is the perfect moral character of God. That's the grounding. That's where, you know, when you ask where good and evil comes from, where, where is mercy? Well, it's not some platonic abstract thing floating in the air. It's God's nature is merciful and he makes us in his image. We're made to be like him. Mm. Number five, at least some human moral obligations and prohibitions are grounded in explicit divine commands. So we kind of get, we can get clarity on that. We see in the scripture where he gives commands, it gives us insight into God's nature and who we are. We can't know morality. We can't know ourselves if we don't know who God is. Mm. And that, and, and, and I will make one little caveat on that people that don't know God have a wiring. We would say like Paul says in Romans that he writes on the hearts of even the Gentile, the people that don't know God, right. this, this basic sense of right and wrong. So he's put that in all human beings. So we would even say, can an atheist do good? Yes. Can an atheist know good? Yeah, they often can because it's written on the heart, right. but it all turns on whether or not God really exists. If God really exists, there's a moral law, a moral lawgiver. He writes it on our heart, and we are uh, obligated to conform to that. Right. Obviously, as Christians, there's another there's another part of that story, the fall and redemption that we would talk about another time. But I just wanted our listeners to, whenever you see an issue going on in our culture, right where there's anger being tossed back and forth, just know these are moral claims, whether it's at the, the president or people who oppose the president, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the celebrities, whoever it is, these are moral claims. You want to ask the question, can the people making these accusations ground these moral claims in their worldview? Are they borrowing from Christian Judea? If they're borrowing from it, let's have a discussion there and maybe open their mind up to the idea that, hey, you recognize these things are bad, but you need to understand if you want to do that to be consistent, 
Right. You might want to reconsider the idea that there's a God that exists. Once they reconsider that, what is this God like? Right. Who is he? Has he said other things that we're conveniently ignoring? Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's kind of the progression, if that makes sense. Any last words? No, that's good. I, I remember reading some comments that uh, um, an, an R&B artist came forward and was like, yes, I'm going to mute R. Kelly because I have kids, and I I don't think that that should happen. And I said, you know, although great answer falls short a little bit because it doesn't speak to the objective moral right or wrong yeah. of the reason that something is right or wrong. And so For sure. what's happening is people are kind of looking at it and say, well, it's affecting me this way. Yeah. Right. And therefore it's wrong. But is it wrong overall based right. on a solid Christian world? Yeah, That's man. what you're saying. Well, just, yeah. Is, is there, is it objectively wrong independent of whether, whether I like it okay. or believe it? Gotcha. And that's what a lot of philosophers say, the ought, you know, and yep. William Lane Craig has a debate with Lauren, Lawrence Krauss, a well-known atheist. Yeah. And pressed it him to the point where Lawrence Krauss even said, yeah, I don't know where an ought would come right. from, that I ought not to do this or I ought to do that. Yeah. It's just what I feel like otherwise, you know, if yeah. on the atheist worldview, it's just what I feel. Yeah. All you, so what, that's a great point. What he's saying is all you get on atheism is descriptions of an is or what, what happens to be the case, but not an ought, like an ought. Where do you, again, where do you find that in the reading of natural history? That lion ought not to have done that. You know, we don't, we don't, that'd be funny, right? Sure. sure. They, he's flouted his moral duty in that right. sense to, you know, we, it just is what it is. And physics moves this way. Physics moves, and we'll, maybe we'll talk more about free will and that part of it in the next episode a little bit as well. But that's a great, yeah, I think it's a great way to end it. We, we need an ought. That ought has to be grounded in something transcendent to the physical realm. Mm. And that's why we, sometimes it's good to press people to think through that a little bit more. That's good. Well, if you have questions or would like to interact about this episode, we'd love to hear from you. We're on social media everywhere is at freemindfm. And you can even send us an email, podcast at freemind.fm as an address. And if you could, we'd love to have you rate us in iTunes. You can give us a five-star rating and a comment, what you love about the show. We'd appreciate that too. And thanks for joining us. Do up, do up. Do up, do up.